The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. Banks lead losses on Wall Street and U.S. Treasury yields drop as the Federal Reserve holds steady on rates and signals no hikes will be coming this year, while Fed Chair Jerome Powell warns of a slowdown in the global economy. Financial conditions tightened considerably over the fourth quarter. While conditions have eased since then, they remain less supportive of growth than during most of 2018. Growth has slowed in some foreign economies, notably in Europe and China. President Trump says a trade deal with China is coming along nicely, but warns tariffs may stay on Chinese goods for a substantial amount of time to ensure Beijing observes the terms of any agreement. Elsewhere, the crisis continues. A defiant Theresa May blames Parliament for frustrating Brexit, as the EU says it will only delay Britain's departure date by three months if, if MPs back the British Prime Minister's deal. This delay is a matter of great personal regret for me. And of this I am absolutely sure. You, the public, have had enough. You want this stage of the Brexit process to be over and done with. I agree. I am on your side. And UBS CEO Sergio Motti tells CNBC exclusively, mind you, that challenges remain despite a pickup in equity markets after warning that the first quarter was one of the worst in recent history. Equity markets have recovered, but the conviction level of both institutional and private clients uh, is not there. Uh, of course, you look at the Chinese market is up 25%, you look at uh, Hong Kong is up, uh, US is up, but the volume supporting uh, that uh, rally is not there. New Zealand bans all military-style and semi-automatic weapons as the country responds to last week's mosque terror attack that left 50 people dead. All right, a very good morning to you or whatever time you're listening to us on the podcast as well. And for those of you who are listening and not just watching the glorious entity that is Squawk Box Europe as well, let me explain to you that I'm standing at a wall and I've got a whole host of ladies and gentlemen behind me. And those ladies and gentlemen represent the three big risks that the market is most concerned about as well at the moment. One is Jay Powell. I'll come back to him in a few moments time. Two is Xi Jinping and Donald Trump, of course, as well. Uh, will they, won't they? Will there be a deal? Where are the sticking points? Will Mar-a-Lago be hosting a big Sino-US signing ceremony as well or not? Are there big problems over IP and other issues? And then I've got Theresa May, Donald Tusk and Jean-Claude Juncker representing the quagmire that is the Brexit negotiations. But we'll talk about all of these big issues over the next three hours, not just on the next 25 minutes on this podcast. But I do want to take a focus, if I may, on what the Federal Reserve said yesterday and what it didn't say, because I thought it was actually rather interesting. Let's have a look at how the US markets were trading. We can see that there was... 
initial move uh, of comfort on what the Fed had to say, the dovish Fed yesterday, not talking about rate rises, possibly the market getting excited with a 39% chance now of a rate cut uh, in 2019. But I have a question for all of you. Do you remember when there were concerns about a predetermined path of interest rates in the US going up? Can you remember that far back? Yeah, that was the last quarter of last year. And that's when we fell very, very aggressively. Do you remember? It was all that predetermined. And that's what wobbled the market. That's what Jay Powell had got wrong. So then they took predetermined off the table and they went to data-driven. Do you remember that bit? That was very similar a time. Just just around about Christmas Eve, the market started rallying as it felt that the Fed was going data-driven, not predetermined. Now I'm worried a little bit that they've gone predetermined again because they've kind of said, yeah, don't worry about rate hikes this year. We've got your back markets. We are watching all these international factors. We're watching Brexit. We're watching trade negotiations. We're watching the slowdown and the concerns on the market. So have they gone predetermined again? But the other way, i.e. from hawkish to data-driven, to predetermined on a dovish front. I just want to chuck that out there. I'm asking the question. I don't have a definitive answer, but I think that is a question that you should ask because the market's gone uber dovish. Dovish, again, in terms of the reaction overall on the equity markets to this. They're more worried about trade as well. The treasury markets. Do you know, look, look at this. What have I got here for you? Let me see what I've got. I've got a five-year, 10-year, and 30-year. But I can tell you the spread between the three-month and the 10-year has gone to like something like its tightest level since 2007. Yeah. I know, since just before the financial crisis as well. So what does that tell you about concerns about rate hikes going forward as well? They seem to have taken off all those inflationary impetuses, all the Phillips curve data that says when you get to a certain level on employment, then you get wage hikes. Well, we did get some wage hikes last time around, even though not a lot of you like the actual overall payroll figure. We had a 3.4% average hourly earnings. I'm just telling you that if we're data driven, maybe a predetermined dovish stance by the Fed, maybe that's gone too far. I don't know. Let's have a look at the dollar as well. What is very interesting is we've got a lot of commodities rising. People telling me it's about raw demand as well. And I'm like, it's not raw demand. It's surely about the dollar. The dollar, the dollar index trading at a six week low, which means we've got all kinds of commodities to the upside. WTI hitting $60 a barrel, nearly 69 bucks on Brent. Copper rallying as well. Is that about an inverse reaction and relationship to the dollar? Or is it because you think the world is booming? Well, I'll just give you one more piece of evidence. Did you see what FedEx had to say yesterday? Did you see what BMW had to say? Do you see what's going on with seaborne freight out there as well? Is that unambiguous and binary that the world's good enough to see all these commodities rallying? I don't know, but markets seem to make these binary decisions. Would you like to look at the Asian markets? Hang on, you're saying there's no Japanese market. That's because it's the strangest holiday. It's the vernal equinox. Don't ask me, it's something astronomical. But anyway, if you're in Japan and you're watching, have a good holiday today. Let's have a look at the opening calls. European opening calls are like this. Uh, And when I say like this, for you podcasters, I'm saying they're up a little bit between 11 and 18 points there as well. Oh, the brave new world where we have to describe everything that we're describing. Yes, yes. Otherwise, um, it's quite difficult for people to figure out when you say, looks like we're poised for a good day. (laughs) They're like, give me some numbers. Give me some numbers. 500 points. That means we're short. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Moving on. Let's talk about the Federal Reserve then. The Fed has indicated it will no longer lift interest rates this year amid concerns of an economic slowdown. The committee held the benchmark 
benchmark funds rate steady as expected, but the dot plot showed most members now expect there to be no hike in 2019. That is a turnaround from December when two were predicted. The central bank announced it will end its balance sheet runoff in September and also downgraded its forecasts for growth and inflation. In his press conference, Chairman Powell flagged the key risks at play. We're also very mindful, and we have been, of course, all along, uh, of what the risks are. So you and you see, uh, you mentioned some of them. You know, you, you see slowing global growth. You still haven't. There's no resolution of Brexit. There's no resolution really of the trade talks. These are ongoing risks. We're also carefully monitoring uh, what's happening with the with U.S. growth. We we called that out in our statement. You know, the, the the limited data that we have do show a slowdown. On the other hand, as I mentioned. We see the underlying economic fundamentals for growth this year as still very positive. Meanwhile, the CEO of UBS has said the first quarter was one of the worst in recent history. Sergio Motti told a conference in London that the investment banking environment was particularly tough and he expects revenues in the business to decline by about a third from a year ago. Jemana sat down with the UBS CEO after the conference and began by asking him just how bad the quarter was. I think that we are facing, uh, first of all, uh, the macro and geopolitical challenges, challenges that we all know. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, you know, the, the Q1 was uh, lacking any elements of uh, positive seasonality this year. Uh, and last year was an exceptional uh, first quarter, and not only for the industry, but uh, if I look at UBS, was even more exceptional because we, we had a very outstanding quarter. So in that sense, uh, uh, there is a, an absolute assessment, but also a relative assessment vis-a-vis uh, -vis a very, very good quarter last year. But you've also said that investment banking division revenues are down about a third compared to the first quarter of 2018. Obviously, as you mentioned, some seasonality involved there because the first quarter was strong. Uh, but equally, equity markets have had a good start to the year. So why is investment banking revenues so much lower? Is it because the pipeline and merger activity is a little bit weaker? Uh, where Where is that uh, lack of activity coming from? So first of all, I think, again, uh, it's important that for us, uh, it, the IB uh, last year had an outstanding first quarter. So uh, on, a, on a relative uh, performance standpoint of view, most likely uh, we will... Uh, Give, uh, give away a little bit of that extra um, performance of last year. But th in this environment, it's true that uh, uh, equity markets have recovered, but the conviction level of both institutional and private clients uh, is not there. Uh, of course, you look at the Chinese market is up 25%. You look at uh, Hong Kong is up, uh, US is up, but the volume supporting uh, that uh, rally is not there. I look at effects markets, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, published volumes on the FX markets are down 20% uh, uh, year to date. Uh, uh, implied volatility and realized volatility in financial markets are uh, very low. So there is not a lot of uh, uh, real movements in the market and the conviction is not there. Are you seeing headwinds from low interest rates? And the reason I ask is obviously we've got a Fed meeting coming up shortly and they're expected to sound a little bit more dovish about the path of future rate hikes. ECB, we just heard from them recently as well, very dovish, uh, pushing out the timing of the first rate hike. Does that present a headwind to your business? I think that it presents an headwind vis-a-vis uh, our expectations for the year. Uh, I mean, we, we finished the year uh, with an expectation that uh, um, the, um, the Fed would hike uh, a few times uh, in, in during the year. Uh, now uh, it's quite clear that they 
they say they're going to pose, and then and then maybe a hike is going to come very late this year or or even uh, further uh, in 2020. So uh, the ECB also uh, uh, reversed its stance. So I think that what is more important is not an headwind vis-a-vis last year, but most importantly is vis-a-vis plans and, and the expectations. Sergio Amotti. Meanwhile, the CEO of JP Morgan has sounded an optimistic note on the US economy. Speaking to our colleagues in the States, Jamie Dimon said the Fed's choice is clear. I don't think they're between a rock and a hard place. I think they're trying to navigate what goes on today. You know, what's going on in the US economy is pretty strong. This isn't like a bad thing. And I remind people if rates go up because the economy is strong. That's not necessarily a bad thing. A strong economy is far more important than 25 basis points effect on the, on the, uh, on the economy and jobs. Well, there you go, Jamie Diamond. Well, uh, Fahid Kamal joins us, Chief Market Strategist at Climewatt Hambrose. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, just give us um, a quick thumbnail sketch of what you think the Fed is doing and why. You know, there's been a lot of speculation about the Fed doing this almost because, you know, the president has asked him to, almost because... Um, you know, we are uh, in a world where the markets were really, you know, falling off a cliff in the fourth quarter and he needs to do something in order to stabilize them. I don't think it's either of those, to be honest. I, I think it's very simply the inflation number. All right. And if you look at where inflation was last summer, closer to 3%, it's been falling steadily. A lot of that has to do with the oil price. But even if you look at the core inflation number, that's sort of stayed relatively stable around the 2% mark. And in that sense, I mean, you know, he's sort of he's 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 done his job. Inflation is stable, and the unemployment number is quite low. The dual mandate is set, so he doesn't need to raise rates anymore. It's, it sort of doesn't need to be more complex than that. Uh, isn't there a question though about preparing for the next crisis, and isn't it incumbent upon the Fed? given its mandate to achieve growth and stability, to actually continue to take back some of these interest rate cuts, to also continue running down the balance sheet, to prepare the central bank for the next crisis? In an ideal world, yes. In an ideal world, you'd have tons of ammunition for when the next crisis, which will inevitably come, uh, you know, that, that they'll have it. But we're not in an ideal world. We're far from it. The reality is that structurally speaking, the the rates that the Fed sets have been been lowering ever since the 80s. So in the 80s, you had an average base rate of about 10 percent. In the 90s, that dropped down to about um, about 5 percent. In the noughties prior to the crisis, that dropped down to between 3 and 5 percent. And ever since, it's been between 0 and, zero and 3 percent. Now, the point is that that's been happening for a very long time. And the reason is simple. The demographic impetus the, and, the, and the productivity impetus that allows for a higher rate environment simply doesn't exist and is not going to right. probably in our lifetime. I want to get into how dramatic a change I think the Fed was yesterday. I mean, we've been told for the last few years that the Fed could do both things, hike rates and also embark upon QT, a program that runs in tandem together, which seemed extraordinary at the time. You think where we were in the financial crisis is as we tried to extract ourselves from the extraordinary policy that both could happen at the same time. And it seems like it just can't as we do no longer have any rate hikes for 2019 and the QT uh, program tapers off as well. What does this mean for the dollar? Because if you think about the way the market had assumed the, the dollar's ascent, that it was the best of the bunch, no other central bank was going to be doing as much work. Have we now just seen the death of the dollar trade that we know of? 
I think that you know that that I think the dollar is probably near a peak if it's not at one already, simply because of what you've just outlined. It's exactly right. I mean, really, what's been driving markets? If you look at where the dollar is over the last five years, it's very much because they they have been so far ahead of the curve beyond everybody else in tightening. And that's done. And ironically, even though what, what's happening in the UK, I think a Bank of England rate hike is much more likely. And therefore, we are somewhat supportive of, of sterling versus dollar. Nonetheless, I do, you know, I, our base case is for most currencies to really be range bound because nobody is going to be moving from, from where they currently are in the near time, uh, in the near future. Good morning to you, my friend. Let me just Hello. go onto two US agency websites and test out your inflationary theory. You mm. think it's about lower inflation coming into the system as well. So um, I'm going to take you at your word and let's say that's the case as well. Now, on the 11th of February, according to the EIA, which is the first website mm. I'm on as well, uh, gasoline, which, if there was an average grade gasoline in the US, it was trading at 236, yeah? 2.36. It is now trading at 2.62. So it has gone up between 10 and 15% as well uh, in the last month or so. Uh, I'm now looking at another, the Bureau of Labor of Statistics in the United States as well. And average hourly earnings in February 2018 was $26.75 uh, per hour if there is a, a total private average figure. That figure is now 27.66. Now I know historically the rate of average hourly earnings increases has been slow, but it is still going up as shown by the latest payroll report, which although people were disappointed with the headline figure, the AHE was still robust as well. So let me put it to you, basis on what you've said, that it's about inflation, core and otherwise as well, that two key components of that, i.e. wages uh, and indeed gasoline, are moving in a northerly direction. Does that stay the hand of the Fed? So look, I like a good challenge. So, so thanks, and you know you have the you have the benefit of having the websites. But I have, I but have. but I but I but I, I don't. So I, first of all, I don't necessarily buy it. I mean, gasoline prices obviously lag. I mean, at, at, to the fi at the retail level, to what Brent prices and and, and oil prices well, are. What do you those, expect? Fahad, the well, WTI is, is above sixty dollars a barrel this morning or yesterday for the first time in many many months. Sure, but compare that to where it was a year ago. Right. I mean, it's significantly lower. So there's obviously been been uh, been that factor. And that's what's really bringing down the headline number. More importantly, is your second point is the core number. Right. Which is obviously very linked to price to wages. Now, we know that for a very long time, one of the standard, you know, sort of classical economic theories that I learned that, you know, the Phillips curve should apply. And, you know, if you've got a tight labor market, wages should rise and therefore you should have inflation. Well, that hasn't happened. Okay, and, and, and we don't know exactly why. We have some theories and we put it in an entire bucket of what we don't understand called slack. Okay, there's obviously slack, and therefore, you know, the, the Phillips I love curve is not. That. It's a bucket of slack. It's inside a, every yeah, trader's yeah. desk. Because, yeah. you know, th because th that's, that's, th 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 that's what we call what we don't understand. The bits we don't sure. get in this yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, no, and, 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 and it's very true. Because you know, you're right, in theory it should be, but it hasn't yeah. been translated. Anyway, for the longest time, it wasn't even translating, in, it's tra low employment wasn't even translating into wage growth. Now we're seeing wage growth actually finally come through. But even that wage growth, strangely, is not translating into, into inflation. I mean, you can see that in the core numbers. We have expected it to do so for a very long time. If and when it does, I'll buy that argument. But we're not there yet. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.